Welcome to AJHP Voices, a series of discussions with AJHP authors and interviews focused on contemporary practice issues. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP, and its mission is to advance science, pharmacy practice, and health outcomes. Hi, this is Daniel Koba, the Editor-in-Chief of AJHP. Thanks for joining us for this episode of AJHP Voices. The use of text messaging in medication management has been associated with better adherence, improvement in clinical markers, and decreases in adverse events. But different text messaging approaches, varied based on content, haven't been studied. With me today to discuss his recent work in this area is Dr. Joel Mars. Dr. Mars has appointments in the Department of Clinical Pharmacy and Translational Science at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center and the Department of Pediatrics at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. Joel, welcome and thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Joel, in the introduction to your article, you mention that 50% of patients do not take their cardiovascular medications. Do we have an understanding of the underlying reasons for these surprisingly, at least surprising to me, high levels of non-adherence? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's still a lot of questions out there what the primary drivers for those are, but some previous literature has supported that some of it can be lack of understanding of medications and, and potentially a role for pharmacists to be involved in, in some of those pieces, both inpatient and outpatient. And then there's other factors. Costs can come into play, especially with patients and, and some of the medications they can be on from a chronic cardiovascular standpoint. And so one of the our goals with this study was to, to help evaluate where text messaging can kind of play or interplay with this to help improve adherence. Well, that makes sense. It seems based on your comments on both patient understanding and pharmacist roles that that really does frame the the nudge study. And it, in the article, it's a an analysis of a component of the nudge study. But if you could just talk about what is a behavioral nudge, which you talk about in the introduction to your article. So a lot of nudges kind of came out with kind of behavioral economic nudges is where some of this originally came about. And, and basically it's design kind of a small change for patients to help kind of develop a behavior that there would be some predictable pattern with that. And so in recent years, these principles have kind of been translated into different health studies to see if behavioral nudges can help improve adherence as well as other approaches in, in medicine. Got it. Got it. So can you talk about the aims of the the larger nudge study and the approach that was used? The large study is a, it's a pragmatic trial looking across three different health systems. Our analysis just focused on two health systems because one health system was still collecting data ongoing through earlier this year. But the goal was to see if different types of text messaging approaches uh, and so more of a general text message approach to a more optimized approach, which would give more specifics and ask patients questions to using a chat bot as well. And I'm sure we can probably get into much greater detail if 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 you want to expand on that. But the framework for the overall trial, we used the, the REAIM framework and evaluated how pragmatic it was with the Prezi2 evaluation tool. Talk a little bit more about the, the REAIM framework. What is that? Yeah, so REAIM stands for Reach, Effectiveness, Adoption, Implementation, and Maintenance. And these are some outcomes that you can design a program evaluation on. So the pharmacist piece was one of those components. 
programs within the REAM framework that was evaluated. There was outreach to other individuals within the study design as well. And this outreach was with people responding to some general text messages as, as well. And those didn't always get routed to the pharmacist, depending on what those messages were. This article that will be published in AJHP was really a sub-analysis from the larger study. Can you talk about that analysis specifically? Sure. So our goal with this sub-analysis was to look at specifically the pharmacist's involvement in in patients. And so uh, we basically dichotomized patients that had some sort of text message response back to the, the text message they received, and then what percent of those got routed to a pharmacist. So was, there was a pharmacist at each of the representative uh, health systems that responded to patients. And so about 10% of patients had questions for pharmacists. There was some differences between the different types of text messages they received and, and who responded. But the goal was to kind of describe the frequency of response, as well as what types of questions we were getting to see if this could be expanded in a, in a larger model. And there was an AI chatbot arm to this as well. Tell us more about that. Basically, there was a control arm, and then there was three different text message arms. One text message arm was uh, basically would say, you need to refill your medication. And so very general and generic. There was an optimized arm, which would provide more detail of, you know, your your adherence is this, continue the good work, and let's try to get to 100% adherence. And then the optimized plus AI arm was where it would actually ask patients questions. So it would ask them a question of, you know, what is preventing you from, you know, refilling your medicines regularly? And they would be able to respond with some uh, responses that it would be given. So, you know, is it cost? Is it access to the pharmacy? What? And then based on their responses, there was programmed follow-up responses to that that then would drive further communication. And how many patients total were enrolled? In our sub-analysis, we had just over 6,300 patients and that the overall study has just under 10,000 and will be that ongoing analysis will be done later this year. But within that, then basically two health systems had roughly 3,000 patients each. And then about 10% of those patients had a specific question or questions for pharmacists. Got it. Got it. So what did you find aside from those findings that you've already mentioned? What else did you find? A couple of the big key takeaways were that patients that were more engaged with the text uh, that they got, so if they got an optimized text or an optimized plus chatbot text, they were actually more likely to have questions for pharmacists. And so it brings up the question that probably needs to be evaluated in future studies and in the overall study of, is more engagement of a patient more likely to give them the mindset that they can ask questions and maybe help clarify things so we can improve adherence? Other things that came up is what we would expect. So we looked at a number of different categories, reasons why they are having questions. And so most, most of the questions were medication related or questions about how to get the refill and some of those things. There was some more simple questions that were responded to by some other research assistants of, you know, what's the pharmacy phone number? So some of those non-clinical questions didn't get escalated to pharmacists, but the more clinically escalated questions got funneled to pharmacists. And so then in that process, we outreached to patients telephonically. We followed sometimes up with their pharmacy to help navigate because there was some instances where patients would say that they're not on that medicine anymore, but the medical record says that they are and, and trying to navigate some of those. And so there would be some outreach to their primary care providers as well. 
you mentioned before that I think it was about 10% of the patients there were questions for pharmacists. Was that number what you expected? I actually thought the number would be higher. I think one of the the interesting things with our approach was that some of the more simple non-clinical related questions did get funneled out to a research assistant to follow up that they could answer, you know, what's the telephone number, what medicine do they need to refill, those kind of things. And so about 50% of patients had some response to the original text message, but I would have anticipated it being a higher percent versus the the 10% that we saw. What were some of the the contributors to that then? That's a good question. We weren't able to really identify a number of factors from the statistical analysis with some of the smaller numbers since only 10% did have questions of, of a difference between the two groups. We know that patients more frequently had questions if they had one of the more optimized chat text arms, but there wasn't anything that stood out of type of question that was driving some of these differences. With this in mind, what are the implications moving forward, Joel? Where where do you see this work going from here? Once this analysis, plus once we have the full analysis of almost 10,000 patients, we will be able to evaluate more thoroughly, was there any impact on the medication adherence between these two groups, in addition to questions to pharmacists and those kind of things. And so ultimately, it will give us insight into is an approach that we need to further study or potentially implement in some large health systems to, to have some of these text messaging approaches. Because we know that from a pharmacy standpoint, many pharmacies now actually do allow patients to sign up for text fill reminders and those kind of things. And so do we need to approach that differently of can it be a generic text and that still has impact on adherence or does it need to be more optimized? Got it. Joel, before we wrap up, there's another question I want to ask you, maybe taking a step away from this study. But as I've listened to you, I've thought that this might be of interest, to, especially to some of our more early career listeners. As I've observed your career, you've really established a track record as both a clinician and a, as a researcher. And I'm wondering if you could talk a bit just about how you built your career as a clinician scientist, maybe what were some of the building blocks? Because I I think that you're an exemplar of somebody that's been very successful in this case. Then that, as I said, I think early career individuals might find it interesting to understand what your path was. A couple of things come to mind. I think through, you know, training beyond pharmacy school and into residency training, I think working with great mentors that I still consider mentors today, I think was one of the initial kind of building blocks to that. I think from a clinician researcher standpoint, I think getting into clinical practice and being able to identify where there are gaps and, you know, your clinical practice and where we might need to fill those gaps, or maybe we need to evaluate, are we doing things in, in the best approach? And so I think developing research questions from your clinical practice has been one of the most effective approaches that I've had, as well as I think it gives you the opportunity to then develop collaborators. And so through my clinical practice is how my involvement in this this clinical trial came to be. And so I think, you know, building those relationships and showing an interest in trying to answer some questions where we do have gaps in the literature, I think is important. And then I think one of the most evident pieces of advice I would give is developing a core group of collaborators, because I think it's allowed me to delve into a lot of different areas from a research standpoint, 
as well as created lots of opportunities. And I think lots of opportunities, even for trainees that I've I've had as well, to get them involved and, and exposed to clinical research. Great advice. Thanks so much for that. And with that, that's all the time we have today. I want to thank Dr. Joel Mars for joining us to discuss his article, Description of Patient Questions Received by Clinical Pharmacists in the Nudge Study, which was recently published on hhp.org. Please join us here each month for discussions on contemporary pharmacy practice issues and interviews with HHP authors. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your colleagues and via your social media of choice. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to AJHP Voices. For more information about AJHP, the premier source for impactful, relevant, and cutting-edge professional and scientific content that drives optimal medication use and health outcomes, please visit AJHP.org.